Melissa, I appreciate that. So uh, last Sunday we looked at uh, part of Acts chapter 17, and um, uh, as you may have noticed in the bulletin, we're, we're going to finish that this morning. At least that was the original plan. Uh, Stacy uh, had to leave early this week for a conference, so she asked for the, the sermon title and passage early in the week. And I kept studying that, and it kept going a different direction. So we're going to get back to Acts uh, 17 at some point, but uh, this morning we're actually going to take a little interlude into Matthew uh, chapter 9. So grab your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 9. We'll be looking at the last three verses of the chapter. Father God, we're so grateful for uh, just the opportunity to be together this morning. We're so excited, God, about what you want to do in our hearts and lives. We're uh, excited that you have called us into the opportunity, the privilege to be involved in your kingdom work, the mission that you have here on earth. And so, God, as, as you continue to, to encourage us in that, uh, we pray that our hearts and minds would be open and receptive to everything that the Holy Spirit wants to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so today we're actually going to begin focusing on, uh, as I said last week, on some practical steps that we can take to be on mission right here in Hot Springs. And, and it's my hope that by now you have been encouraged to want to be on mission, to want to do that, not out of any uh, sense of uh, uh, guilt, but out of an exciting expectation that God can use you and wants to use you to impact this community and this world for Jesus Christ. But I understand that the chances are pretty good that uh, many of you here may have some fears and doubts when it comes to that whole idea of being a witness for Christ and maybe leading someone to a relationship with Christ. So what we want to do today is start talking about how we can actually do that uh, with, uh, and, and overcome those fears and, and hesitations. And so the first step, the very first step, which is an incredibly important step, is actually one of the easiest because it doesn't involve you uh, actually interacting with the people that you're trying to reach. Rather, the first step has you interacting with God through prayer. And we do not want to overlook this step because it is absolutely crucial in the process for multiple reasons. But uh, unfortunately, I think we oftentimes do uh, kind of overlook this uh, concept of prayer, or maybe we diminish, diminish it uh, by treating it, you know, casually and flippantly. I mean, you don't have to raise your hand here. I'd be raising my hand because uh, this is true of me. But I mean, how many of you have said something along the line? Well, well, I guess I can't do anything except pray as if that's not doing something. It's what God calls us to do. It is. Now, obviously, this is uh, something that would apply to every aspect of Christian living. But in terms of us being on mission, it is the foundation to our success. And, and Jesus himself taught this truth uh, in the verses we're looking at in Matthew. Uh, just prior to these verses, uh, we read how Jesus uh, himself was, was going throughout Israel, spreading the gospel, ministering to people, uh, meeting needs, doing those types of things. And then we come to Matthew 9, 36, and it says, Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and uh, dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Now, obviously, I, I hope you understand there that Jesus is speaking of their spiritual condition. 
and distressed and dispirited are pretty strong words. I mean, they carry the idea of being beaten, battered, worn out, thrown down, and wounded. And that's how Jesus saw these people. I mean, physically, they may have been doing okay, going to work, making a living, raising the family, you know, having fun with friends, that type of thing. But spiritually, they were beaten and battered. And things haven't gotten any better in our modern day and age, have they? And the response to seeing this spiritual condition of the people was this, verse 37. Then he, Jesus, said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Man, there's a great big field out there. There's tons of fruit ripe and ready to be picked, but there are so few workers. So now what command do you think that Jesus might give following a statement like that? I mean, maybe you're thinking he'd say something, oh, well, you guys see the need here, so it's time to get your little rears in gear and let it get cracking here. We got to get going and doing some work. Or maybe he would uh, give some type of guilt-inducing uh, statement like, uh, man, you guys, you see all this great work that needs to be done, but you're just laying around like lazy bums doing nothing. Uh, I can't hardly believe that. We need some people going to do something and try to lay a guilt trip on them. But that's not what Jesus did at all. You go to the final verse there, verse 38. He said, therefore, because there's this great need, because the, the, the harvest is ripe, therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers in his harvest. So, see, the first step uh, of successfully being on mission for Christ is prayer. And it is a prayer for God to act first and then us. And I believe the, the order of that prayer is important because it helps us keep a right perspective. I mean, if you were to ask someone, uh, what, what's the main goal of us being on mission? What's our particular main goal? I, I think uh, many people might respond, well, you know, the main goal is, is to get people saved. And that sounds good, but it's actually not quite right. Because a goal has to be something that you can accomplish. And guess what? You can't save anybody. You can't even cause anybody to get saved. Saving is God's job. And it's his job from start to finish. And I just want to show you from Scripture what I mean by that. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, we read about God that he has also set eternity in their heart. Yet so as so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning to the end. And, and basically what that means is that God has put inside of every single person this innate understanding that there must be something more than just this physical life in these few short years we're here on earth. He's given that innate understanding, but it is a very limited understanding that doesn't, you know, grasp the fullness of God and his work and his plan. Yet he did plant in each heart that longing, that yearning that can only be filled by God. But because of brokenness, because of sin, mankind has sought all kinds of other ways to satisfy that longing. They know there's a need, but they don't know how to fill it. And then that would lead 
to the next concept. During his earthly ministry, uh, there were many times where Jesus read uh, very, uh, uh, drew very large crowds to himself, and uh, that was more true than ever after the feeding of the 5,000, right? Huge crowds were following Jesus and wanted to be part of it, and, and people were flocking to him, but Jesus knew that they were coming just because they thought they could get a full belly. And they were looking at Jesus for what they could get out of him. It was the very early rendition of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Hey, come fill us up, man. Uh, We want that. And so Jesus challenged the crowds with some very tough teaching. And as part of that teaching, I mean, if you want to read the very strong teaching, uh, go to Acts chapter, or uh, uh, um, John chapter 6. But as part of that, Jesus said this, no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. See, it's God's job to draw people to himself. He first set that innate knowledge that there must be something more in the heart, and then he is the one who draws them. That's God's job, not ours. Only he can take a darkened heart and make it desire to see the light. Which, of course, then brings us to the next step. A little later in the Gospel of John, Jesus is talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, who is, you know, of course, a member of the triune Godhead. So the Holy Spirit is God. And Jesus says, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So now God draws people to himself, and he's the one who brings conviction, just as Greg was mentioning in the opening scripture and prayer this morning. Uh, Uh, It's his job to cause these people to understand their sinfulness and that what they're doing in life just isn't working and that they will at some point in time be held accountable. There is a judgment that is coming. But unfortunately, too many Christians have mistakenly thought that that was their job. And that probably is one of the main reasons why there's such a negative perception, maybe on both sides, concerning evangelism i mean when we just run around telling people how bad they are is it any wonder that they don't want to hear anything more from us but when god convicts them of sin in their own hearts they listen and not only do they listen when god brings conviction but now they're at that point where they want to do something about it which brings us to the final part of the process of salvation, conversion. And and this is the part that, of course, we all knew is God's job and his work. As it says in Titus 3, 5, uh, he saved us. He, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. See, so God draws, he convicts, and he saves. It's his work, completely, from start to finish. So then, maybe you're tempted to think, well, if that's the case, then what does God need me for? I mean, if he's the one doing all of that, why do preachers keep trying to preach and make me feel guilty about not uh, doing enough evangelism or or witnessing or this type of thing? Uh, Well, again, as I said at the beginning of this series, I'm hoping we can alleviate some of that guilt, not produce it, and, and I believe that understanding God's role in salvation and evangelism and all that, I mean, that takes a huge load off of our soldiers. 
shoulders, right? I mean, we can go, phew, man, that's, that's God's job, not my own. Uh, that can uh, really free us up. But then the question is, well, where do we then fit in that process uh, at all? I mean, or do we fit in it? I mean, that's what you've been seeming to say. We're the ones that's supposed to be witnessing do that. Where do we fit? Well, we fit pretty much through everywhere in that process. But it's all up to God, right? We're in every aspect of the process, but it's all up to God. The Apostle Paul understood that, and he explained it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So God draws people to himself, but he uses us to plant a seed that may bring about inquisitiveness and curiosity in a person's mind about Christ. God is the one who brings conviction of sin and righteousness, but he uses us to water, to, to show people what that looks like in real life. And God is the one who causes the seed to take root and to grow into conversion and salvation, but he often gives us the joy and the privilege of being part of that process of showing how that can be done to a person. So, God is the one. And it brings us around again full circle. That's why the first and most important step for us being on mission is prayer. God and God alone can change or save a person's heart. God is the one who has to reach people. God is the one who transforms people. So, with that in mind, well, what exactly do we pray? When going back to uh, that first verse we looked at, Jesus said, therefore, beseech, that's a strong word for pray, right? Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And, and I've heard this, and probably you have too, heard this verse frequently used at missions conferences or other times to try to raise up missionaries to go to foreign lands. But you remember, you remember what uh, we found out um, at the end of John, back early in this series, that the workers that Jesus is, is looking for to send out is all of us, right? He, he said, as the Father has sent me, I send you. And, and then we found out that while, yes, we keep the whole world in mind and we'd be open to whatever God would want us to do, the place to begin being on mission is right here in our own community. So our first part of our prayer is for God to work, and, and it's to work in our own hearts to help us to become willing workers in his kingdom. And, and we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ that they too would be willing participants in the harvest that God wants to bring about right here locally. But we don't want the prayer to end there. We don't want to pray just for ourselves. We also need to pray for the people that God wants to reach. And I think this is indicated, alluded to in, in uh, uh, Second Thessalonians when Paul wrote, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it also did with you. God wants to reach his people. He wants the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to spread rapidly. But of course, we, we just understood and saw that that can only happen when God himself draws people to himself. So we need to be praying for God's work in the hearts of the people around us. Because that's what God wants to do. Quite a few years ago, I, 
I received a little booklet from a, a free church pastor down in, in Nebraska, was a little town near uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, and, and uh, he wrote uh, this book that he entitled Pray and Watch, and, and he developed in there what he called the five-second prayer, and it goes like this. You'll see it on the overhead there too. Father, please send your Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of these people. Draw them to Jesus and make them kingdom workers. And he says, this is a prayer that we should all be praying frequently. The first part of that prayer recognizes the fact that it is only God who can work in a person's heart, right? That's what you're asking. You're, you're first putting this burden on God. And by praying this, you're asking God to do what only God can do. And, and of course, the nice thing about that is it takes the pressure off of us to try to do those things that only God can do. And praying for God's work is, is just an awesome first step of being on mission. But you notice the prayer goes on. The second part of that prayer has two separate requests. Uh, uh, and there's two because in a lot of cases, you may not know where the person that you're praying for, uh, where they stand uh, spiritually. And so the first part of that request would be pertinent for people who might not yet uh, be saved. And you're asking God to bring them, to draw them to Jesus Christ. That's what he says he does. That's his work. It, it, it can only be as he draws that something happens. So you're asking them to draw. Then the second request is for those who are already believers, and it's that God would cause them also to become kingdom workers. It's that they would understand their part in being on mission. So it's really a, a request for spiritual growth in their life. And so because of those two parts, this prayer can be used anytime for anyone, right? You don't have to know the person or where they are spiritually if you're asking God to either draw them to himself or to help them grow. And, and, and the, the five-second prayer, as you notice, is very generic, right? It uses the term, these people. And that works when you don't know personally the people that you are praying for, right? Maybe you're stuck in line on the road behind a road construction stop sign, and there's the guy holding the sign that says stop. You could pray this prayer for that man. Or you're up in the mall in Rapid City, and you see a mother and daughter arguing. You could pray this prayer for those two people. This prayer works anywhere, anytime, for any person. But obviously it's, it's even more useful for people that you know or, or have some connection with and, and because you can then replace that generic term, these people, right, with the person's name. So maybe you know somebody and you, so you can pray, Father, please send your Holy Spirit to work in the heart of Alfred. Uh, 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 draw him to Jesus and make him a kingdom worker because now that makes that a very personal prayer. So try that the next time you're standing in line at the grocery store or the bank or anywhere else. If you know the name of the teller or the cashier or whatever, that's all the better. But uh, if you don't, a lot of times they wear na name tags. You can catch a name that way, and, and you can pray for them. You can insert their name in that. But best of all, of course, would be people that you already do know, people you already have some bit of a relationship with. Maybe it's a coworker or friends, or neighbors, or schoolmates, or, or other people that you know in the community, and that you, you can just put them on your pray and watch list. 
What do you mean a list? Well, uh, it means that you're going to take these certain people and, and keep them on your list and keep paying attention to them. And, and what you're going to do is every time you think about them, every time you see them, every time you sit down for your own time of prayer, whenever that might be, you are going to pray this five-second prayer for them over and over Day by day, week by week, month by month, you are going to be praying for God to do what only God can do, which is draw this life to himself. That's the first very practical step to being on mission, and we can all do that, can't we? That's not scary at all. Every single one of us can do that because it's not like you're making a great big production out of this prayer. Okay? You're not standing in line at the grocery store, and then when you get up there and you can see the teller's name, you start going, Father God, please draw, what's that name again? Allison, Allison to yourself. You're not doing that. You're not making a production. You're doing this quietly, silently in your heart for this person. God hears, and he sees, and he knows. And so you pray for them. But you may have noticed that there's two parts to a Neil Brower's prayer system there. You pray, but then you also watch. What are you uh, watching for? Well, I think basically two things. First, you're watching to see what God does. I mean, if you are continually and repeatedly and persistently praying for God to work in someone's heart, guess what? You're probably going to see God work in someone's heart. But oftentimes, you have to be paying attention to see it. I mean, occasionally, uh, some great big, you know, can't miss it type stuff happens. But frequently, there will be a small little movement of his spirit. And unless you're watching for those things, you may miss them. Which brings us to the second part of what you're watching for, right? You're not only looking for God to do what only God can do, but then you're looking for the opportunities that God would give you, provide for you to be a witness. And again, remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about and I emphasized the fact that being a witness does not mean that you grab a person and, and slather them with the entire gospel every time you, you talk to them, right? That's, that's not what we're, we're talking about. It simply means bringing God into the, conversa into the conversation, especially in terms of your own personal experience of what God has done in your own life. And, and, and if you are waiting, praying, and watching for God to work, well, that means there very likely there's going to be times of a natural open door and opportunity for you to be a witness. So let me give you a real-life example of that. Uh, some of you uh, probably remember hearing about uh, Paige McPherson. Um, if you, that name rings a bell, it might be because she was in the Olympics this summer. Uh, she's from Sturgis, South Dakota, and, and, and was uh, in the Taekwondo competition down in Rio. And unfortunately, she lost pretty much immediately. Uh, ended up losing on the first day of competition. And a little bit later after that, she posted a thank you on her Facebook to all her friends and supporters, the people who had helped her get to where she was at. And, and then the Rap City Journal did, a, did an article on her, and they uh, reposted or reprinted her post verbatim in the journal. And I want you to listen to what she said. She said, 
today marks the end of my journey. It was not what I expected at the end of the road to Rio, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful for being able to make it to Rio and compete at my second Olympic Games. God tells us to trust him. I have learned that trusting him doesn't mean everything will work out in, in your favor. It means that when we do not understand his plan for us, we must keep our head up and be grateful. And I'm truly indebted to everyone who has gone out of their way and taken their time to help me. I'm truly disappointed that I was not able to give everyone a long day of competition. However, there is always a winner and a loser. And unfortunately for me, this was my unlucky day. Looking back, I wouldn't have changed anything. I did all that I could to be prepared for these games. And so for that, I have nothing to regret. God is good. Thank you for this experience. Now, she could have just posted a nice, gracious, generic thank you for all the supporters and the people that supported her, and that would have been it, right? And a lot of times, that's what we do when God gives opportunities for us to, to be a witness, right? We just do some very generic thing. Oh, why are you helping like this? Well, I just look like you needed some need, uh, some help with that. Or why are you doing this? Oh, I'm just trying to be, you know. But, but she took the opportunity. She took that natural opening that God provided and, and brought God into the conversation. And she didn't just give some generic, oh, I thank God, like, you know, tons of athletes do, but it doesn't mean anything. I mean, what does that mean? Thank God could, could be any God, could be anywhere, right? Uh, she said some very specific things about God, such as trusting him through difficulties and affirming his goodness even when things don't go the way you want. That is being a witness. And that's what God calls us to do in our regular everyday conversations as he opens the door, as you're praying and watching, and you can see those opportunities that he brings. Now, I, I do, because I brought up Facebook, I, I just, I, I just got to say one thing about Facebook. As in this particular case, it can be a wonderful tool to plant gospel seeds. But if you are going to be public about your faith and talk about Jesus in life and, and, and in your posts and stuff, well then please, 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 please don't stick up other posts that are hurtful, obnoxious, uh, cussing, swearing, and otherwise negative and harmful to the cause of Christ. I mean, remember what the book of James says about our speech. He says, from the same mouth comes both blessing and cursing my brethren. These things ought not to be this way. And guess what? That applies to Facebook and Snapchat and any other social media as well, right? Uh, and, and the argument I've often heard is, well, it's true. Well, just because something is true doesn't mean it cannot be communicated in some obnoxious or harmful way. I remember uh, when I was in high school, a pastor saying something that has stuck with me ever since that time. He said, you can be right and still be wrong. Wrong in the way that you say it. And I have to say, I saw a lot of that from, from uh, various Christians uh, right after the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage or even with the election stuff going on right now. Some horrible uh, types of statements that just make my, my heart hurt. And yeah, they may have been making some true statements, but they certainly weren't winning anybody to Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about our testimony being a sweet aroma. But if we end up posting garbage on Facebook, that just causes our testimony to stink. 
So one practical word of advice. Remember that you as a believer have Jesus Christ living inside of you. Therefore, everything you post should be posted as me and Jesus. The two of us are doing this together. So before you would be tempted to put up some uh, offensive message or share some disgusting post that somebody else put up somewhere, why don't you just take a moment and say something like, all right, Jesus, since we're posting this together, are you okay with all of this? You, you happy with the way this is worded? Or do you even want to put up a post about any of this? I think if we would do that, that would help a great deal. Okay, that's the end of my Facebook rant. The point, getting back, the point that I was making is that if you are praying and watching, these opportunities to be a witness can come up in very natural, non-threatening ways. Frequently, because the other person will be asking questions. And, and, and that's what I'm primarily talking about is in those one-in-one interactions, those conversations with we can have uh, with the person that you're praying and watching, right? But now, now maybe you're a little bit worried about, well, what should I say next? I mean, w- if I bring God into the conversation, what do I say if they ask a question? Where do I go next? Well, that's what we're going to begin looking at next Sunday. But for today, I, I just want to let you know, you can officially get started on being on mission here in Hot Strings just by choosing to pray and watch. I'm going to stick that five-second prayer up on the, uh, the video again so you can copy it down if you want. And I would encourage you to do that because I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you this week to find three, five, a dozen, however many people you want and put them on a pray and watch list. Might be a teacher, might be a classmate, someone you work with, a neighbor, uh, someone you see frequently in the community. And every time you see them or think about them or pray your regular prayers, then pray this five-second prayer for them and then begin watching, looking for what God might do in that person's heart. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you that you take the pressure off of us and put it all on your own shoulders. And yet we are also so grateful that you have chosen to use us in the process. So we ask that you would help us to intentionally, purposefully be praying for people praying that you would draw them to Jesus Christ because only when you draw them can something be done. And God, help us to be watching, watching for opportunities that you naturally bring up to be a witness, to bring God into the conversation. So God, give us us the courage that we need and the discipline and the strength to pray and to watch. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.